Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. But let me, let me give you some idea why this is important. People have done probability studies. This is, this is meant to get our attention, I think, because it doesn't happen in the modern world. Um, the odds are, if 16 prophecies, never mind the 191 clear ones, but 16 prophecies being fulfilled by any one person would be 1 in 10 to the 45th. 1 in 10 to, with 45 zeros after it. That's likely more atoms than there are in the universe. Um, 48 prophecies being fulfilled would give you the odds of 1 in 10 to the 157th. That, that number is so inconceivable that it's, it's basically saying it doesn't happen by itself. This is the anthropic stuff all over again. Like Either these are 157 zeros, 10 to the 157th coincidences, or somebody's trying to tell you something. Now, I'm, I'm not here, by the way, to, to, to offend anybody by trying to shove this stuff down your throat. I'm, I'm simply saying this is the Christian argument for the validity for the justification of belief, one of the arguments, it's not all, it's one of the pieces of, the, of belief that the Bible is something special, at least to them. It's, it, that's, other people have to make up their own mind. The odds are just incredible. Like Jesus' birth, his ancestry, his genealogy, the forerunners, his acts, his deeds, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, all of it were, were uh, predicted um, by, by prophets. That, that's the argument among Christians. That's how they went out and taught. They talked about Jesus is legitimate because he fulfilled these prophecies. That's one of their arguments. The other one was the resurrection and, all, and the miracles he performed and that, that you know, whatever. But th- this, this was part of it. Um, it's, a, it's a cumulative case. No one can perform this kind of... A prophecy is a prediction that comes true. No one can do that these days. No one's ever done that w- with this consistency. So that would be considered a miracle according to 99% of Christian theologians. Somebody predicted about 500 years before, well, it's all here. It's, in, it's, in a, it's called Messianic Prophecies by Keithley. If, you, if, if somebody claimed that they, they could predict 100 things in a row correctly, um, that would be a miracle. That would be something extraordinary. That would sound like there's some supernatural intervention going on because it doesn't sound like something anybody can do without uh, a supernatural cause. And because we believe in God, Christianity believes in God, we, we know what the supernatural cause is. If you don't believe in God, then you've got a mystery. Like, why? Why does it happen? It's another anthropic argument, right? Sure. And then you have to before you scoff and say, it's just a mystery, you've got to then explain, if you want to justify that, 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 that cynical attitude, you've got to explain 
why this can't happen. You've got to give me some reasons. You can't just say, I don't understand it. It just doesn't mean anything. These are, these are legitimate people, like two billion people in the world saying that we believe in these things. So we at least have to respect their faith. But after that, if you're going to criticize it, you have to have reasons. That's the whole point of the class. These are the reasons Christians give. No one else can do this. No seer, no psychic hotline, no Nostradamus, no Edward Casey, no Gene Dixon. None of the greatest psychics that ever lived can do this. It happens. The Quran would be the only other religion that even comes close to, to, to the fulfilled prophecies, for, for that matter. You have to take these things as we take them, Christians take them as signs of God intervening because we believe that God can perform miracles try to get our attention. And if one man fulfilled 191 prophecies, predictions about him before he was born, some of us find that more than odd. We find that uh, like a slap in the face that something is happening. Now, here are the criticisms, just for the record, because you you, you need to know. There's more criticisms than I just don't understand it. A lot of people say, number one, aren't the prophecies vague? They're just too vague to be taken seriously. And the answer to that would be, the refutation of that criticism would be, yes, some of them are very vague, and yet some of them are very specific. So what do you do with the specific ones? You can't just say they're all vague. We're not talking about Nostradamus here. We're talking about something that's specific. The place of birth, 500 years before, one of them, one of them's a coincidence. Ten of them may be a coincidence. 191 get my attention. That's Christian scholarship. What about other religions that have prophecies fulfilled? That's a legitimate question. Do they cancel each other out? Does it show that they're just all luck? Not necessarily would be the response. Other religions can have legitimate prophecies fulfilled too. But one still has to make sure they do the work and study and make sure that these are legitimate interpretations, that they have been fulfilled. There aren't that many religions that even claim this. But this is like in a law court. If somebody says A and somebody says B, they're not necessarily both wrong. Um, you have to, and, and with, as with any miracle, by the way, there's, there's a, a level of evidence, a level of authenticity that one has to investigate. It, it, it's, a, it's a crime to say, um, if other, here's the extremes, if other religions have prophecies besides Christianity, one crime would be, one false conclusion would be, therefore they cancel each other out, whatever that means. The proper response, it would seem to me, and most scholars would be that, well, let's see who has the most justification. Let's look at the witnesses. Let's look at the circumstances. Look at, look at the reports. Let's look at the testimony. Let's look at their character and where they were and, and whether they're in a position to judge their biases. There are, there are tests we use for these things. We don't just flaunt them out like, the, like, like without thought. Remember, this is 2,000 years of testing these things. What about psychics? There's another criticism. Can people predict now? What's the big deal about predictions? Well, the simple answer is, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 18, one of those books in, way back in the Law of Moses, it said that if any prophet made a prediction that was wrong, he would be immediately killed. They didn't tolerate failed predictions. Now, you tell me one psychic. I'll pull the bullet. Just point me to a psychic. Just show me somebody who hasn't made a mistake on the psychic hotline. Of course they do. There isn't, no one can do... Like a, The Bible had strict criteria. We don't want false prophets. We don't want speaking, anyone speaking in God's name, giving false predictions. That's blasphemy. 
That's the worst thing you can do is to speak for God in lies. Uh, Jesus said the only thing you can't, that won't be forgiven is to, is, is, to, is to slander the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the same thing, that you don't speak in God's name with lies. So there is a no tolerance, a zero tolerance in the Bible about prophecy. So people were very careful when, when, they, when the prophets were, 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 were putting these things forth. Um, they had better be fulfilled. Now, some of them took a thousand years, in Jesus' case, to be fulfilled. Others were that this city is going to be destroyed, and it was destroyed, or else or the, the Babylons are going to take Jerusalem, and, and it better be. It better happen, or these, things, these people would be killed. Uh, if I had time, I could go on to Jeremiah's case. That's exactly what happened to the false prophets. If it was a long-term prophecy that there will be a Messiah, and he will die a death being pierced, he will be betrayed by pieces of silver. He will be born in Bethlehem. They can wait for that one. The, uh, but if, if they say, don't fight the Babylonians at our door because we're going to beat them, and then they find themselves enslaved, that would be a good case for a false prophet. There were a lot of those in the Old Testament. They were very serious about their prophecies, their predictions. And even the best psychics of today, I mean, they admit that they make a lot of mistakes. And, and the church has so-called prophets who admit that they make a lot of mistakes. And it, it just shows you that uh, these modern-day prophets are not um, zero tolerance. If they were, they'd probably keep their mouth shut and stop writing so many books about their prophecies, which most of them are just absolutely silly, you know, because they don't take them seriously. Um, the psychics is, is not a good example against it. Um, you know what the liberals have done? I, I just got to mention this one. Before Jesus died in 30 or 33, we think it's 30, for most people, 33 was always the traditional one, though. He predicted that not one stone would be left standing on the temple in Jerusalem. And quite frankly, today, there isn't one stone still standing. There are buildings over the original temple, but we still haven't found it because there's nothing there to find. It's, it's completely... Now, what do you do if you're a liberal and you say, Jesus predicted in, in 30 AD that he didn't know... It, the date, he didn't say the date, but in 70 AD, the Romans came and destroyed the temple and tore it down stone by stone. How did he know that, if that's not a miracle, a prediction that came true, one of many? What the liberals do is they say, well, we don't believe in prophecies, we don't believe in the miracle of prophecies, so it must have been written down after the event. And this is, uh, to make a very long story short, why the last couple of hundred years, religious scholars who had become naturalistic, skeptical about miracles, because they were in this world of science trying to justify their faith rationally, and just they had to get rid of the miracles, including prophecies, they started saying, any text that has a miracle prediction that comes true, you know, where you could see it come true, uh, must have been written after, after the thing came true. So somebody supposedly wrote that Jesus predicted this after 70 A.D. And that's why liberals in general seem to think that the, that the scriptures were written very, very late, like as late as the year 100, when in fact, when we look at the evidence without that naturalistic bias, you can see that they're written. I mean, Paul was writing in um, 48 if Jesus died in 30, Paul's writing in 48. Uh, we think Mark and Luke were writing it before 60, 62, definitely before that. It's not a late date at all. So it's like it's a tragedy of looking for a way to account for prophecies without, you know, by saying that they were illegitimately written later. 
it, it, just, it just doesn't work in the case of most prophecies. A few of them it might work, uh, but even then it's, it, it, it's ignoring all the other evidence for early dates for these writings. It just fills the, uh, the chapters bookstore, this kind of trash, about, about uh, the culture doesn't like miracles, so we've got to reduce, they say, Jesus to a man and get rid of them. And then how do you deal with all of this stuff? Was he the last pharaoh? Was he a pagan god? Was he made up? Did he even live? All kinds of strange, strange theories. The Da Vinci Code is just the latest in a long line of last 150, 180 years of this kind of stuff. The simple point is, I've just given you four refutations of prophecies and or four criticisms of prophecies as being miracles. They're too vague. You know, the psychics can do the same thing. None of these things seem to be very good criticisms. Uh, think for yourself. I, I wish you could write an essay here, but there's too many of you. But I'd be more than happy to give you an essay, like if this, this were the old days with 30, 40 people in the class. Is to give me some other reasons what, why you think these prophecy miracles can't occur. And then, and then see, if, see if you can even imagine how they'd be responded to. What I'm saying is there, there isn't any criticism of these things that holds much water so far. Uh, I've got three or four more. The favorite one is, uh, I'll give you the last one, uh, one more. Jesus manipulated all of these things. That's the Passover plot book that I just started to mention. Um, some liberal scholar figured that if Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies, he must have manipulated events so it would occur that way. Because Matthew's Gospel says, and this came about so that Isaiah's prophecy would be fulfilled. Okay, that sounds, that sounds fine for maybe five or six of things he did, but uh, most of them he couldn't manipulate as a simple answer. Do, do you see what's happening here? When you look at five or six arguments against prophecies being fulfilled, like just saying they couldn't happen because the things were manipulated, they're too vague, and on and on and on, they're not good arguments. This is like 200 years of criticism of prophecies, and this is the best that, that's come so far. To the, trying to make the text later, which goes against the evidence, trying to discredit these prophecies by manipulation and all kinds of things. None of these criticisms really touch the issue. Now, this is one lesson in justifying belief. Remember, this is called negative apologetics. Uh, positive is, you remember, giving evidence for your belief. Well, the evidence is there's 191 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. There's 1,817 prophecies fulfilled in the Old Testament. Others yet to be fulfilled. We'll see. That's our evidence for that it sounds like it's not an anthropic coincidence. It sounds like there's a super... Now, the argument against is what are the criticisms? We have to refute the criticisms. Now, if you, if you find yourself, like I, I, like I say, this is, this is just you. If it, it, it's nothing to do with conversion or anything. I'm just saying, don't scoff at this stuff until you find a decent criticism of, of these things in a book or in your own mind or whatever. So far, the scholars haven't. That's pretty much the case. Uh, if that's the best I can do, saying that psychics can, can predict too, then they're missing the case. And my point is that most criticisms of of most positions are based on a serious lack of information. I mean, these criticisms are laughable. They're not criticisms at all. They're just, they just show a lack of, uh, of, of, of awareness of what they're talking about. They're ignorant, quite frankly. And then that's, that's usually the case. We're in a culture that doesn't delve too deeply into anything. And uh, if you've got two billion people uh, officially 
according to their religion, saying, we believe in miracles and we believe in these prophecies. That's what justifies our belief. Scoffing at them without knowing the evidence and saying psychics can do it and other religions can do it are not good answers. That's the point of the class. Before we start flapping our jaws and saying these things are stupid or foolish, let's look at some evidence and just see. And you start with what are the experts are saying? What do the experts say about these things? And then maybe you can, maybe you can become an expert yourself and, and add something to it, but it takes a lot of work. This stuff is serious. There's nothing laughable about uh, somebody's basic fundamental belief system. Nothing at all laughable about it. Now, with the case with miracles in general, I want you to get a better feel for that because, like I say, it's the number one hit list in this culture. Uh, people don't believe in God, they don't believe in miracles, and it's a, it's a vicious circle. I don't believe in miracles because I don't believe in God, I don't believe in God, therefore I don't believe in miracles. And yet, you have the world's biggest religion and the world's second biggest religion uh, telling you that miracles are important, Christianity in particular saying they're important. Let me give you some of the, the criticisms against miracles. You've, you've got tons of them already in the readings. These are the ones you don't have. There's, there's hundreds. Hundreds of arguments against miracles. Tell me when I get to one that you think is valid. That's the problem. I can't find a valid argument against them, and yet the culture doesn't accept them. And if you don't accept miracles, there's no point in going any further because the miracle, the resurrection, virgin birth, Jesus healing miracles, all these things can't happen. There's a bias against them. So you could have all the evidence in the world uh, it could fall on you like a piano from a building and you still wouldn't see the evidence because the bias is that great in this culture against miracles happening. It's either because we don't believe in God or we don't believe in miracles, but it's really the same question. Uh, it's just, and here are the arguments that they can't. David Hume is the basic scholar, who, uh, the, the, the philosopher, the skeptic who argues against miracles and he's still worshipped for that in this culture by most skeptics. Hume says, base your belief on your experience. And, and you know what he does? He rules out miracles, therefore, in principle. Because in my experience, and that, by the way, is what I see and what I read, and what I read is what I believe, I've seen one person resurrected from the dead, I've, I've accepted that, but I've seen trillions, you know, all, my, all my other experiences like yours, we haven't seen anybody resurrected from the dead. So what Hume has done is to say, only believe the weight of your experience. What he's done is make miracles impossible without even looking at the evidence. I could walk in and say, this guy was dead yesterday. Here's three medical doctors saying that he was dead and he's risen from, he's, he's alive again. And because in our experience, there'd be millions of cases, most of us thousands of cases where people don't rise from the dead, we couldn't accept that as a miracle because the weight of experience is always against the extraordinary event. Now, that was my point last week about Hume. That's the main point. That's what you're after here. Hume and skeptics define miracles as based on what we experience. And because most of our experience is just basic scientific facts, scientific laws, and not miracles, it's always weighed against belief in miracles. Of course, what Hume did, like, you know, the comment is, the, the conclusion is, you can report a miracle, you can give evidence for it, and the skeptic's still going to disbelieve it because the weight of evidence is against it. 
that's the first problem. Now, if you're, if you're persuaded by that intellectually, that's fine. Um, but I'm not. Like, I, I find that a bit of a problem. If that's, if that's the best argument against miracles, that the weight of our experience is against it, all that is saying is that our experience is the only source of truth. There can't be any God, it assumes. There can't be any... Uh, you can't even accept, like I was saying last week, that if you haven't seen frozen water and you're living in the Bahamas all your life, you can't accept that as a fact because you haven't seen it. The weight of evidence is always against uh, something that you haven't had more experiences of rather than just one or two if, or none. Now, in Creed chapter 5, he, he gives you, he doesn't really talk about Hume as much, but he tells you there's another argument against miracles. If that isn't bad enough, it's based on the weight of experience. The other one is that that's used by most skeptics and I'm, I'm saying this respectfully, they're, they're philosophers who teach courses in miracles and assure their students that they're stupid and they can't happen. So I, I'm just defending another side of the story that you're going to see everywhere else outside this classroom. Um, they're going to say that a miracle can't occur because it's irregular and science only accepts what can be predictable according to scientific laws and what regularly happens. What regularly happens is that people don't rise from the dead. So if somebody says something irregular happened and it seems like a miracle because, not just because it's irregular, but it's in a religious content, uh, we believe in a God and we think that God was involved in this and it inspires awe and faith and all kinds of things, the scientist will say or the philosopher will say, if it's an irregular event, non-repeatable, like Jesus' resurrection, you can't accept it because it goes against scientific laws. Now, my simple response to that is, scientific laws, obviously, are the only, is the only game in town. If something, what that does, too, is, is to rule out miracles before they happen, before the evidence is even considered. Who's going to consider that if you say nothing can happen that's irregular, that doesn't repeat itself over and over. If everybody rose from the dead, that'd be a scientific law, but it's not. So I'm saying what we talked about last week, just so you get clear on this, because like this is the fundamental issue in religion these days, whether you're going to believe in these things or not. The two arguments against miracles that are at the top of the pile, the rest is all just versions of this, and there are a lot of the rest. A lot, I've got 20 or so here that I don't think I'll burden you with, but I'll give you a few. But they all are based on What's the weight of your experience? Doesn't happen. Somebody claims it does happen. So your experience is the judge. Or ask yourself, is a scientific law being broken? And if it is, that's a miracle, according to a religious person, and it can't happen. So the skeptics are saying, your experience and scientific laws rule out miracles. I don't care about the evidence. Is their attitude. Uh, they can't happen. They have a mind saying, you can't break scientific laws, and you can't believe in something that goes against the weight of your experience. Now, my simple answer is that, sure you can. My experience is simply uh, what I experience. I, I'm a limited. This is the empirical verification test all over again. It's like only believe what you can see, taste, smell, touch, and feel, or whatever. Like, that's, that's the test of truth. Do you know how many things don't pass that test? Most most of life doesn't pass that test. Only a few basic scientific laws do. And then, well, now that we're talking about scientific laws, the other one, like, what are scientific laws? Scientific laws are simply the conclusion we have drawn based on our experience. 
it all reduces to you and I, with our five senses, determine what's true or not. And that arbitrarily, arbitrarily, and inconsistently, it refutes itself because it's a, it's a false statement, but it arbitrarily rules out God. It refutes itself because that statement, only believe what you can see with your five senses, that you can verify with your five senses, can't be verified by the five senses. It refutes itself. It makes itself silly. This culture is fascinated with scientific laws, experiences that we've had with our five senses based on scientific methodology, and everything else is ruled out. So what they've done is without even looking at evidence for miracles, they've ruled them out with an incredible bias by saying we only believe what's naturalistically verifiable. So this is a tough battle to kind of shake ourselves loose from this. Even religious people, like when I look at half of Christianity or more than half, willingly giving up miracles. I mean, they're giving up the core essence of their faith because they don't know how to fight this skeptical, scientific, philosophical naturalism which ridicules them for believing in miracles. Put your hand up in a science class or a philosophy class and talk about these things. Maybe philosophy will allow you to do it, but they certainly won't allow you to win the battle because they'll say, well, the weight of experience is against it. Scientific laws can't be violated. And then the concession would be, if a scientific law is violated, then what we'll do is we'll take that miracle, so-called, and we'll make that part of scientific law. So it's no longer a miracle, it's just a blip in scientific law. And quite frankly, a lot of things happen in science that science can't explain, especially in quantum physics. And yet they don't say, you know, this can't happen. It does happen at the quantum level. And every prediction at the quantum level of things you can't even see has come about. It's, it's true what, what they're predicting, but they can't see it. They can't verify it. And, they, and it, there's things that don't obey the laws of space and time, and yet they accept those. Like, it's, it's very strange, this bias against belief in God performing miracles, whether they're prophecies or resurrections or healings. All of this stuff, it's, it's, it's eroding our faith, and it's turning people either into atheistic skeptics or into you know, into some kind of New Age spirituality where, where there's so many versions that, yeah, there's miracles and there's all kinds of strange things happening, but I, I'd be worrying about justifying some of those beliefs before I, I, I devoted my life to them. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues.